I, I would like today to begin with a uh, couple of questions that I'd like you to think about. And here are those questions this morning. If you could pass on a legacy to your family and friends after you die, what would that legacy be? And what would you want people to remember you for? Somebody in the first service said, we're all passing on a legacy. The question is, is it the right legacy? In the last seven months of his life, my father left a wonderful legacy for me. It still inspires me to this very day. As you know, some of you know, he spent his last seven months at the Veterans Nursing Home here in Marquette. And he read the Bible every morning. One day, Dr. Skenzel, who is now the head of the program over there, said to him, Bob, what's the psalm for the day? And that began a practice of my father reading a psalm every day for Dr. Skenzel. After he died, Dr. Skenzel said to me, I'm going to keep up the practice of reading a psalm every day. What's the legacy? God's Word is true. It comforts us in trying times, and you never know who you can pass it on to. My dad also loved gospel music, and one day he asked uh, one of the main music groups if they could include a couple of hymns, and so they did. And from that day forward, every time they concluded their music time, they concluded with two hymns, and I was there one day, and my dad explained how that practice began with his request. And what's the legacy? Even when you can no longer walk, and you are in a place you never wanted to be, you can be a testimony for Jesus. And then one day when my sister was here, we went down to the chapel for a sing-along. We invited Dad's table mate, Wally, to come, and we loved Wally very much. Wally didn't sing, but afterwards he said he enjoyed it very, very much. And then shortly after that, Wally died suddenly. And what's the legacy? God sends people into your life so you can touch them for Jesus because you never know when death is coming. You know, as I think about this, we all make wills and trusts because we want to pass our monetary assets on. But the question that comes to us is how do we pass our spiritual assets on? Well, as we come near to the end of the life of Joseph, there are two chapters that focus on the death of the patriarch Jacob. Do you know what we discover? It was his finest hour. His finest hour. Jacob had not always lived by faith. There were times he wallowed in self-pity. But when he comes to his death, he finishes the race strong in faith. And isn't that what we all want? Don't we all want to finish our race for Jesus strong in faith? We want to finish well. 
Well, this morning, as we come back to the text of Genesis, I'm bringing a message that is simply entitled, Leaving a Legacy of Faith. Uh, Luke and Heather, I didn't plan this message with you in mind. But I hope it will encourage you. Because this is what you're doing. Let's turn to Genesis 47 this morning and let's begin with verse 28. It's about page 47 in the chair Bible in front of you. And just before I read, let me pray. Oh God, we want to leave a legacy for those coming behind. We want to finish well. We thank you that Jacob finished well for his family and for us today as we read these words. Motivate us and inspire us now. For Jesus' sake and the sake of all who are coming behind us. Amen. I want you to notice, we're going to ask this question. What are the generations coming behind needing from us? And here's the first thing they need from us. They need to know that God's promises never fail despite difficulty and death. That's what our children need to know. That's what our families need to know. That's what our friends need to know. Look with me if you would, starting at verse 28 of Genesis 47. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob were, uh, and the years of his life were 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel, the second name that God gave to Jacob, must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh, and promise to deal kindly and truly with me, Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. Joseph answered, I will do as you said. And Jacob said to him, Swear to me. And Joseph swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. Jacob's death was very unique. He was the only major patriarch to die on foreign soil. He died in Egypt, not in Canaan. And he died without the promises that God had given to him and Abraham and Isaac being fulfilled. Canaan, at the time of his death, was still in pagan hands. And we know how the story would go. Eventually there would be a new Pharaoh who would arise and he would turn against the Hebrews. He would make slaves of them. He would beat them, whip them, force them into hard labor. He would commit genocide against their infants. You know what the Bible says about the children of Israel as they experienced all those things? Exodus 2.23, the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out for help. You know the questions they had. Was God listening? 
Where was he in all of this? What about his promises? Are they really true? If you've ever seen a believer give up hope and turn from God, it is a terrible, terrible thing to watch. And all of us need examples. We desperately need examples of people who cling to the promises of God no matter what. Now I want you to notice, what was Jacob concerned about as his death approached? Well, it was not where he was going because that was settled. In verse 30, when he said to his son Joseph, let me lie with my fathers, the the, uh, uh, American Standard Version translates this, when I sleep with my fathers. And that is not far off of what Jacob meant. He meant my body is going to be buried, but my spirit is going to have a reunion with Abraham, Isaac, Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel in heaven. And we have to ask if Jacob knew he was going to heaven, then what difference did it make where he was buried, right? I mean, you want to just say, who who cares? But don't miss this. Jacob was not focused on himself. He was focused on leaving the right legacy. He was thinking of future generations. He knew God had promised them the land of Canaan. He knew that God would fulfill that promise. But there would be times when it would look very bleak And what Jacob is saying as he prepares for his burial in Canaan, it is worth trusting God, it is worth serving Him, and it is worth following Him no matter what comes. And I want you to notice, so serious was this? He puts Joseph under an oath. Verse 31, he said, I want you to swear by this. I want you to swear a promise. And when he said, put your hand under my thigh, that would have been very close to the mark of circumcision. And you know what that mark of circumcision meant for Jacob. It was a sign of God's covenant with him. For us, it would be like putting our hand on the Bible, raising our right hand, and saying, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's how serious this was for Jacob. Do you know the New Testament mentions this as the high point of Jacob's faith? Look with me at uh, this verse in Hebrews 11 the great hall of heroes of faith. And this is the one place where Jacob's faith is highlighted. Let's read Hebrews eleven twenty one together. Join me. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. The only reference to Jacob's faith in the whole New Testament 
By the way, why was this an act of worship? When Joseph swore the oath, I'm going to have you buried in Canaan. And Jacob leans there at his bed and and leans on his staff. Why was this an act of worship? Here is the answer. Because Jacob believed God's word and he acted upon it by arranging his burial arrangements. Let me ask you a question. Isn't the highest form of worship believing God's word and acting upon it? Is that not the highest form of worship? Yes, it is. When we offer our lives as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, because we believe the promises of His Word, that is the highest form of worship. You see, Jacob's death was a teachable moment. It was a teachable moment. And he seized that moment with all of his being. I think we need to learn a very important lesson here. God will give all of us who know his Son as our Savior teachable moments to show that we believe his promises and we act upon him, on them. It may be the very hardest times in our lives. The times when we say, no matter what I'm going through or what I'm experiencing, I'm going to follow the Lord and I'm going to obey Him. And what we do with those opportunities will determine the legacy that we leave to others. You see, what the next generation needs to know is we are absolutely convinced the promises are true. And difficulty and death may come, but it doesn't change our trust in the promises of God. I want you to notice Jacob left another legacy. And it's a legacy that all of us need to leave as well. And here's this legacy. God's faithfulness blesses those who walk with Him. The younger generation needs to know that. If we will walk with God, He will bless us with the greatest blessings that He can possibly give. That's the kind of God that we serve, and that's exactly what Jacob taught. I want you to look with me at verse 1, and notice with me verse chapter 48, and what took place just a few months later. Follow along in your Bibles. After this, Joseph was told... Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh, the oldest, and Ephraim, the youngest. And it was told to Jacob, your son, Joseph, has come to you. Then Israel, the second name that God had given to him, summoned his strength. And he sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan. And he blessed me. And he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. And I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt, before I came to you in Egypt, they are mine. 
Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them in Egypt shall be yours. They shall be called by the names of their brothers, Manasseh and Ephraim, in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Padan, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so he could not see. So Joseph brought them near to him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And then Jacob blessed them. Now what is going on here? Well, probably a few months after Joseph made this oath to his father, Jacob became ill. The final days of a patriarch were very significant days because he would provide for the future heirs of the family. He would pass on his blessing that in this case came from God and a double portion to the firstborn son. Since God had made Joseph the firstborn son, the blessing then would go to his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Do you know what I just read for you? It's actually an adoption ceremony. Jacob was adopting his two grandsons. Now I want to say to you, I know a little bit about adopting, don't I? And I know that when you adopt, you go through very formal procedures to make the adoption legal. And that's what we see here. There's the statement of the adoption, verse 5, your sons will be mine. There's the presentation of the adoption, verse 10, Joseph brought them near. There's the signs of the adoption. Jacob embraced them and he kissed them and he laid his hands on them, verses 13 and 14. And then there's the blessing of the adoption, verse 15. He blessed Joseph who represented the boys. And then he described the blessing that God would give to these two Young men, look at the end of verse 16. Let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. 
Do you know everything that Jacob prophesied right here about Manasseh and Ephraim? It came exactly true. Look at this map for just a moment. And you'll notice how the tribes were allotted once they got to the land of Canaan. Manasseh and Ephraim became the two largest tribes in the north. In fact, Ephraim became so significant, it became the leading tribe and so powerful and prominent did that tribe become that as you read through your Old Testament, sometimes Israel is simply called Ephraim. When Joshua came along, he led the conquest of this land And he was the one who apportioned the land, the inheritance, to the tribes. Did you know this? Joshua was an Ephraimite. That's how significant this tribe became. Can we all say this morning, God's promises are true and they come true? Can we all say that? And did you notice something else? This is another evidence that our Bibles are true. Because these prophecies about Ephraim and Manasseh, they were made hundreds of years before they were ever fulfilled. And so what we learn is this, God is faithful, is He not? Yes, He is. He does what He says He will do. And we can trust in His Word. That's what Jacob is saying by this adoption ceremony. Stop for a moment. Stop for a moment. This adoption ceremony is another teachable moment. And what does Jacob emphasize? He had a very hard life. He went through many, many trials. There were lots of ups and downs. But he doesn't focus on that. The only trial he mentions is the sorrow of when his wife Rachel died. And that's significant here because she was the mother of Joseph. But that's all he mentions of his trials. Instead, what does he do? He focuses on God's faithfulness. Why does he focus on God's faithfulness? Because he knows that's what the next generation needs. The next generation needs to know that God's faithfulness will bless those who walk with Him. And Jacob focuses not on his problems, but on the faithfulness of God. In fact, I want to show you for just a moment the kind of God that Jacob believed in. And let me ask you this morning, is this the God that you believe in? Is this the God that you know? Is this the God that you walk with 
on a daily basis. Look at, first of all, El Shaddai. God sovereignly promises. And whatever God sovereignly promises, He does. Look back at verse 3. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty, that's Hebrew for El Shaddai, appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful, multiply you. I'm going to make you a company of peoples. And I will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. You know what El Shaddai means? El Shaddai refers to the sovereign king who gives, blesses, and judges. And Jacob is saying, I know this God, I've walked with Him. Notice the second thing. He described God as shepherd. Drop down to verse 15. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. Shepherd means God leads and provides. By the way, doesn't this anticipate Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not what? Want. And then finally, angel of the Lord. Look at verse 16. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys And in them let my name be carried on and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Do you know this is one of the few times God is addressed as angel? And most Bible students believe it's the angel of the Lord. It's a pre-incarnate manifestation of the Son of God. And all through his life, when he was in times of need, the angel of the Lord would appear to him and give to him protection and defense. Would you agree with me? One of the legacies we want to pass on to our families is that God is bigger than our problems. Would you agree we want them to believe that? Don't we want those who are coming behind us to see that we had a big God? Don't we want to see them to see that? I like what Pastor Warren Wearsby says at this point. He says, Jacob didn't talk about the difficulties of his life. He spoke about God and what he did for him. And what we choose to focus on in life reveals that which occupied our minds and our thoughts. And we can either choose to focus on our God that we walk with and His greatness and His goodness and His plan for us, or we can choose to focus on the problems that we have endured in life 
And what we focus on will determine the legacy that we leave. Let me ask you again. Do you know this God? And have you walked with Him so that you know Him? My mother was a very ordinary housewife who grew up in the UP town of Gulliver. It's on US 2, and if you drive through Gulliver and blink your eyes, you will miss the town. And she was very, very ordinary. But she developed a passion for reaching children with the gospel, which she did her entire life. And when she died 14 years ago and we had her funeral, the focus was on God and what He did through a very ordinary woman. That funeral spoke so powerfully to three of her granddaughters that one of her granddaughters said after the service, I want to be like Grandma. I want to maybe become a missionary. Her oldest granddaughter is a missionary to this very day in Kenya. And that youngest granddaughter is passionate for missions. Earlier this year when we made plans to go to Guatemala on our mission trip that we heard about last week, and we sent out letters, my sister said to me, send a letter to my youngest daughter. She and her husband are passionate about missions, and they would like to contribute. They're in their 20s, haven't been married all that long. When the letter arrived, it was $200 in the envelope. And we were shocked. In the last couple of years, that young couple discovered they are unable to have children. And so now they're adopting. The child that they were in the running to receive, they were told, had a strong chance of having a severe case of Down syndrome. And what would you do? What would you do? What a hard choice. You can adopt this child knowing that if it has Down syndrome, you will care for that child its entire life. Or you can pass over that child and maybe get a fully normal child. They committed it to prayer. They asked us to pray. And then they said to the adoption agency, Yes. And I have never been so proud of my niece. The birth mother eventually chose a different family. And now my niece and her 
husband are seeking to adopt internationally. But why did they say yes? Because they know this God. And part of the reason they know this God is the legacy of a grandmother who knew this God too. And in that funeral service, when an ordinary woman from a little town called Gulliver was all about God and what He had done, they said, we want to be like her. You see, that's what the younger generation needs. They need to know that God is faithful to bless those who walk with Him in the best way possible. Now there's one part of our legacy as we close that we dare not miss. We dare not miss. Here it is. Let's read it together. God's sovereign grace alone determines the future. Look what happened in verse 17. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim, who was the youngest, to Manasseh's head, who was the oldest. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a great people. He also shall become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim the younger ahead of Manasseh the older. Sometimes a painting is worth a thousand words. And this is a famous painting of this scene by the painter Benjamin West. And here now is Jacob, close to his death. Here is Joseph, bringing his two boys. And Jacob crosses his hands. And he puts his right hand, the hand of blessing, upon Ephraim the youngest. And his left hand, for the lesser blessing, on Manasseh, who was the oldest. Why did he do this? By the way, Joseph did not like it, did he? 
Do you know this is the only time that Joseph showed displeasure of any kind? Why did he do this? Listen carefully. God operates on the basis of sovereign grace, not merit. God operates on the basis of sovereign grace, not merit. Say Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 with me. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Whenever we think that God owes us something, we have moved out of the realm of grace and we have moved into the realm of merit. The Bible teaches us that God is the potter, we are the clay. Anything else will leave us disillusioned. And God is teaching us this must be a part of our legacy. What the younger generation coming up behind us needs to know is we love God for who He is, not just for what He gives. That's what they need to know. Come what may in our lives, we have come to the place where we love God for who He is, not just what He gives. And unless they know that, they're going to be disillusioned. Walk away and give up on God. Did you notice in verse 19 that Jacob refused Joseph and he said, I know my son, I know. That is a way of saying, son, God knows what he's doing, let him be sovereign. God knows what he's doing, let him be sovereign. When our prayers are not answered the way we want, I know my son, I know. God knows what he's doing. When trials come upon us that crush us and we do not want those trials, I know, my son, I know. God knows what He's doing. When disappointments knock us to the ground, I know, my son, I know. He's the potter. We are the clay. And when death comes and takes us too soon, I know, my son, I know. May His will be done. If we don't know this, and do not commit ourselves to it, Christian life will just be too hard. God's sovereign grace alone determines the future. When I began this series on the life of Joseph, and there's only now a couple of messages left, 
I had no idea how much New Testament truth would be in his life. In fact, I would say to you, I'm, I'm surprised. For over and over again, things that I see in the New Testament, I have been taught here in the life of Joseph. And that happens today as we come to Jacob's legacy. Because it sounds a lot like the legacy of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wanted to finish well. And who wouldn't want this on our tombstone? Who wouldn't want our family, our friends, our church friends to gather around our graveside and say of us, we finished well. We left a legacy of finishing well. Let's read together Paul's legacy, which is very clearly Jacob's legacy in Acts 20, 24. Let's read it together. I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. That's how we finish well. And it's what those who are coming behind need to see in us. Let's pray together. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, are you finishing well? As the brother in the first service said, we are all leaving a legacy. The question is, is it the legacy that we want to leave? And what do you need to do? What do I need to do to leave the right one? Oh God, today, do business with our hearts for the sake of those who are coming up behind us. For their sake and Jesus' sake, we ask it. Amen.